0: Welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. Ah, Folks, uh, we're going to do part two, shepherding the flock. Shepherding the flock of God. Uh, uh, In fact, uh, many of the commentaries that I've read on this uh, speak about uh, this infancy, this this early manifestation of of church uh, leadership, and uh, this is an early letter as we discussed when we first started First Thessalonians around 50, 51 A.D. And uh, there are expressions in here uh, of church leadership that get developed. Uh, we see them in First and Second Corinthians, and then in the pastoral epistles. Uh, but remember. Uh, the Apostle Paul was only in uh, Thessalonica for a short time. He didn't have a lot of time with, to work with them, so he gave him some, some uh, parameters for leadership uh, over the flock of God. So I invite you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in verse 12. And for those of you who might not have been with us last week, uh, I'd like to be- begin with just a brief recap of the shepherd's role. Uh, Then then we'll discuss everybody's role, all right? Every spirit-filled Christian has an important function in the local church. It's not just about elders. It's not just about shepherds. But among numerous responsibilities, verse 12 taught us last Sunday that elders who shepherd are to diligently labor... They are to provide oversight to the flock, uh, and they are to nurture an atmosphere of sound doctrine. Trustworthy words of God, rich with teaching and preaching of the Word of God. One of the very best ways, one of the best ways uh, for shepherds to root out wolves is to be crystal clear from the pulpit. But That makes wolves very uncomfortable one example, if a wolf wants to propose that under the New Covenant that Christians should refrain from, from teaching the Ten Commandments, when the pulpit is crystal clear that the Ten Commandments still serve a function, they, they, they have an essential role of defining for us what it means to love our neighbor, and they remind us that God's grace it is necessary because we continually fall short of loving our neighbor uh, Then anyone who wants to teach to the contrary. They're gro- going to grow frustrated. They're going to grow uncomfortable very quickly. So in our instruction, we need to strive to be very kind. Uh, but even more importantly, we need to be clear. I've shared this quote before with you, but, but for some who might be uh, new with us, a legendary professor from Dallas Seminary named Howard Hendricks. Many of you have heard of him uh, before he's gone to be with the Lord since. Uh, But Howard Hendricks used to say to us in class, a mist from the pulpit creates a fog in the pew. And in a fog, a a wolf is going to whisper to Christ's tender lambs. He's going to say, you know, there's just a few things that that the leadership or the pastor here uh, just doesn't quite understand. But if you would meet with, uh, well, me and my wolf pack, and we meet on Tuesdays, we can make everything clear to you uh, if you'll just join us. Uh, Folks, if a wolf ever approaches you in that way, I would love to also be enlightened. I mean, I need all the help that I can get, really. Um, Send them my way. I'd love an opportunity to speak with Mr. Wolf, and uh, I'm willing to adapt my view if, com- if compelled by a rational interpretation from Scripture. But when Paul warns the elders at Ephesus that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves men will arise, speaking perverse things to, to draw disciples uh, uh Uh, to themselves, he says, be on the alert. He says they'll they'll speak perverse things to draw disciples away, and uh, those perverse things that wolves say uh, are usually conversed in secret. It's in secret, uh, not openly where they can be scrutinized and, if necessary, uh, refuted from Scripture. When shepherding the the best biblical instruction, it's not the only biblical instruction, but the best biblical instruction is, is provided in an open congregational setting, for all ears to hear, uh, not behind closed doors, or in the back of a uh, of a coffee shop somewhere where nobody else is around. Uh, not somewhere where they're where they're drinking beer, you know, and yucking it up. Uh, but where uh, where you can all hear together the same words and discern for yourself whether or not this is truly representing. Uh, What the scripture says. We offer multiple group lessons. There are numerous opportunities midweek and on Sunday. Uh, Mike Clements is currently teaching us uh, many of Jesus' parables on Sunday morning. Uh, There are ample opportunities for the flock to ask questions and to make comments. Uh, But Mike and I realize that if something that is painfully inaccurate is shared, uh, the teacher is responsible to provide clarity before before everybody leaves. Folks, a teacher, that, that's the role of the teacher. To correct misunderstanding before a class departs. A teacher is gifted by the Holy Spirit to teach. That's what they're gifted to do. And the Apostle James says, let not many of you be teachers. This is one of the reasons that, that group Bible studies, you know, they don't consist of reading a passage and then passing around the soapbox to ask if anybody has something that they'd like to say. All believers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but not all believers are gifted to teach. Folks, some people's lives, even Christians, this can happen. Some people's lives, I said this in uh, adult Bible class about a month ago, some people's, some Christians' lives are so immersed in sin, they got no business teaching anybody anything. Um, some people just can't teach. Some are not gifted to teach. Uh, some people have nothing to contribute <coughs> except error. Um, hmm. you know, it has been said before that you know everybody needs to be uh, discipling somebody. Uh, no, there are some people who shouldn't be discipling anybody because of the error that they harbor and teach. This is one reason that our, our studies are formatted in the way that they are. Uh, it's like most classroom settings that you've experienced in your life. A teacher diligently studies and, and prepares and then stands at the front of the room to teach. And therefore, when verses 12 and 13 urge us to appreciate and esteem those who give us instruction, that does not describe passing around a verse and asking each person now, what do you think this passage means to you? Because a passage of Scripture does not mean anything different to you than it does to me, than it does to anybody else. A passage of Scripture is written by the writer to mean one thing. We're always searching to, mean, uh, to discover what that is. Uh, and these, for, for these and other reasons, a person who gives instruction in verse 12, uh, they're not a facilitator of an open form, open form all right? They're not a moderator who, who just, you know, is there to make sure that each individual gets an equal time to speak. It, it isn't politics, and that approach is not delivering instruction at all. Short illustration of uh, of a church nearby, I won't give the name, you can ask me afterwards if you want. But they had a, uh, an adult Bible class, and... Uh, the the husband and wife who headed it up eventually came here because it got closed down by their by their pastor at this other church and he came in lamenting at one time after he'd been going here for several months and he says you know we had just the greatest bible study going on over there on sunday mornings and and, and everybody was just having so much fun we We'd read a passage, and everybody got to share uh, what it meant to them on their heart, and everybody had something to to add in, and he said it was just the greatest thing. This was supposed to be the teacher. And he said, but but the pastor came, and he shut it down. Before the man left, he was asking some other questions about doctrine, and he he asked Pastor Weiler and myself this. He goes, uh, he said, by the way, I have this question. Do you really think that there's a hell? Wow. Wow. No, we need to be clear. We need to be clear. And before we progress to verses 14 and 15, the emphasis of verses 12 and 13 is to be grateful that there are elders who prioritize biblical instruction. Uh, most pastors, teaching elders, lay leaders, they devote years of their life to learning uh, many pursue a postgraduate degree to help them accurately divide the word of truth. Uh, I'm one who fully supports a master's degree from a reputable seminary if a person is able to. Um, but a problem can arise. A problem can arise because it is possible for Christians to begin viewing roles of service in the church as being filled not by those who are spiritually gifted, but filled by people who are properly credentialed. Follow me? Christians serving then may become equated with paid, professionalized ministry. And over time, Christians can be- begin to expect that. B- because it's a lot easier, Right? Well, they ask, you know, don't we have somebody on staff who can, who can handle that? Or, or, or don't we pay people to teach the Bible and to take care of my kids and my children? Uh, Boy, I'm not qualified for any of this. When in reality, God has gifted each according to how the Holy Spirit has determined. And Ephesians 4 verse 11 states, that uh, our shepherds, who are described in verse 12, they, they provide instruction. These pastors and teachers are given by Christ to His church for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. It's for equipping you for the works of service for the building up of the body of Christ. Naturally, Scripture doesn't expect us to pay everybody uh, in the church who performs a work of service. Jesus is coming. You will receive your reward in full at that time, He promises. Surely there are a few shepherds, not all, but a few shepherds who devote their lives to oversight and they work hard at preaching and teaching and, and they receive a compensation because They abandon other career pursuits to serve Christ's church. So there are a few that get paid, but not most. After Pastor Weiler's departure to the greener pastures of Ohio, I think actually they're kind of frozen and white right now. Uh, You can ask him. He'll be here Thursday visiting. Um, But after he got called to, to the church up in Ohio, I pursued some, some data on associates, all right, uh, to determine what it might take to, or what it might require to hire an associate, an experienced man, to ro- relocate to Port St. Lucie, to buy a house, to be able to pr- provide for a family. And my conclusion is we first need to grow. We first need to grow. And during the same inquiry, uh, I came across some enlightening statistics. You're going to like these. This is enlightening statistics about the ratio of paid clergy to the number who are in weekly attendance. I used to hear it it stated that uh, as a pretty consistent uh, guide that uh, you probably need to hire a second pastor by the time you hit around 200 or you're not going to be able to grow uh, uh, any further than that. Uh, our average attendance here over the last couple months has been about 155. I never tracked that, uh, but there's someone who counts, and I went back and just averaged out the last two months uh, to see it's about 155. And have you ever heard of a man named Tom Rayner? Pretty, pretty, uh, pretty knowledgeable voice in evangelicalism. He's a respected church consultant who has written several books on churches and on church membership. His website is churchanswers.com, and uh, he, he's big on statistics. He likes to capture statistics, and uh, he's reputable enough where Tom Rainer regularly gets contacted by megachurches. Megachurches are considered those churches that are more than a 1,000 in attendance, and he regularly gets contacted uh, to provide them answers about staffing, especially salaries and, and, and what is a healthy pastor to congregation ratio you know what his answer is 76 to 1. 76 to 1 he states and he's not the only only source that is uh, providing this number 76 to 1 is a proper ratio of average a sunday attendance to full-time pastoral staff that figure does not include part-time i found that fascinating and you know i'm i'm fully uh, in support of qualified staff i fully support uh, that uh, no question there but he, here's what gets interesting i about fell out of my chair rayner and several other trustworthy sources acknowledge th- this is just a fact a statistic that was tracked that in the 1960s churches had one full-time pastor for every 500 in weekly attendance is that something i'm not trying to propose what a what a healthy congregation to pastor ratio should be uh, it probably varies according to different churches and their needs but statistics suggest to us that professionally paid church staff has increased 657% in the last 50 years. That's something. That's something. What are the reasons? Well, one cause is the increase in, in boutique. That's why I call them boutique ministries. You know, Everybody has to have a paid staffer uh, at their church in order to organize the, the motorcycle ministry, right? Now, I used to ride a motorcycle... Me and my friends would just get together and ride. I didn't need a church to tell us where we're going to go or to organize it or have someone on staff to do that. We got quite a few guys here who like fishing, I've heard. Where's Paul? Is Paul here today? Dwayne was talking to Paul last week and talking about how much they love fishing. Dwayne, do you need a church staffer to tell you when you should go fishing? No. You want to go fishing, go fishing. Go fishing. But increased expectations from Christians of the church facilitating their social life has surely driven some of the demand for increased staff. Another reason is is probably a greater influence as people have come to view Christian ministry as work usually done better by professionals. Surely there are professionals that can serve well. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 14 says that the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living by the gospel. I have no doubt there are critical functions where churches have to either contract services or hire somebody. There's a lot of services today you got to deal with. you got fire contracts, you've got insurances, you've got all kinds of things going on at church. And if I didn't have Mary Yurkus helping me, I'd be spending my whole week trying to run down bills and quotes and everything else uh, rather than preaching and teaching the Word of God. So there's a role, there's a, there's a function for people, uh, part-time staff, that, uh, that help with those things. But is paid ministry what we've come to expect in reading the Bible? Is it only the work of professionals? I think we know, we know quite well um, we shouldn't always come to expect it in the local church somewhere it seems that we have forgotten that you are the gifted ministers of Christ's church during our scripture reading earlier the Apostle Peter declared in 1 Peter 4 verse 10 as each one has received a special gift speaking of spiritual giftedness employ it in serving one another as As good stewards of the manifold grace of God, manifold there means means diversity. Many diverse manifestations of spiritual giftedness, and differing roles of service in the church. In Scripture, the the lists that describe spiritual uh, spiritual giftedness they're never identical. That assures us that none of the lists that are given are by themselves meant to be exhaustive. But instead they assure that there are a multitude of ways which we minister to the body of Christ. Many, many different ways. One of the lists given by the Apostle Paul is found in Romans chapter 12. There he states, For just as we have many members in one body... And all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Paul continues, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy... To prophesy means to speak forth the word of God to courageously declare what God has said. If your gifts prophecy, you do it according to the proportion of your faith. If service in His service. Uh, he who teaches in His teaching, He who exhorts in exhortation, He who gives with liberality, and he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy. Do it with cheerfulness. Every member of the spiritual body makes an essential contribution to the church of Christ. Even those who are not professionally paid. In 1 Thessalonians 5, in verse 12, elders must display leadership through service. We are to labor diligently, labor hard. Uh, We give instruction. We confront error. We clean. We paint. We work. But is it possible that we do everything? There is no model of leadership that can do it all. And this is why verse 14 continues by addressing the entire congregation. Speaking to, to all the brethren here. Paul says, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Do you think it is possible for one paid person to admonish everyone, to encourage everyone, to help everyone? Nobody believes that. And Scripture never commands me to do it. Scripture also does not permit you to hire a paid professional to visit those you know in the hospital. I do hospital visitations, just like everybody else is supposed to do hospital visitations. But that is not the reason that we pay a pastor. Pastors get paid due to the enormous amount of time it takes to preach and teach and to exhort the church in sound doctrine. And to be a model. And to be a role model. Verse 14 reveals it is your responsibility to encourage the faint-hearted. You make the call when you discover that somebody is hurting. You pray with them. You hold their hand. You write out the sympathy card and put a stamp on it and put it in the mailbox. You have an essential function... They can't be farmed out to paid professionals. Verse 14 also says, you help the weak. The Greek term there for weak could mean either spiritual weakness or also it could mean physical weakness. More likely it it refers to both. And the weak certainly includes those who, well, for one reason or another can't meet a need for themselves. Drop off their prescription. Deliver to them a a meal when they need it. Uh, Give somebody a ride to church when they don't have one. Folks, the elders and our wives do all of the above, but we can't do it every time. It won't even be right for us to do it on your behalf every time. When Christ describes the final judgment... That's found in Matthew chapter 25. It's one of the locations. He says, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, speaking of the church, even to the least of them, you did it to me. Jesus is describing how, unlike the goats, his sheep have ministered to the rest of his flock. By the way, I don't know how, how Mike is going to apply this when he gets to the parable uh, during his series, uh, but it is not mere coincidence that the parable of the talents comes immediately before The separation of Christ's sheep from the goats. How did you use your talent? Did you like the unfaithful servant just bury it in the ground? Do you remember how Jesus confronts that unfaithful slave when he returns? Says, You wicked and lazy slave. Jesus is implying He's implying that by my spirit I have made a deposit in you to build my kingdom while I am away. And you didn't do anything with it. And Jesus tells him, out with the worthless slave. And the next scene is the final judgment. Those who are truly Christ's sheep give particular attention to caring for his flock. We all have a role in In shepherding the flock of God. Folks, you need to get to know others in the church. They need to get to know you. You need to be able to encourage them when they are faint hearted and to help them out when they're weak. And then they will do the same for you. It's a beautiful thing. You know what I told the, the membership orientation this morning? Um,. We had some new member orientation, two-week series, and and this was the first week. And uh, at the end of speaking about coming into the church and considering membership and uh, to get to know one another and minister to one another and and a covenant of of promising to take care of one another, you know what I said? Stop being lonely. Come into the church and stop being lonely. I realize it's impossible to know everyone here intimately. It's impossible for one person to know everybody intimately. I I realize that. But you should be able to make five or more close connections who are going to keep an eye on you. And in return, you'll be able to keep an eye on them. I can't monitor it all. I can't. Nor does Scripture expect me to. The reality is that even though I face all of you for about 40 minutes. It might be about 45 minutes today. Maybe 50. I can't recount all of the faces to remember who was here this week and who wasn't here this week. Um, I don't remember everybody. Unless you contact me, I honestly don't know if you were in the hospital. I don't know if you're on vacation. I don't know if you're scared of catching the flu. I don't know if you're fishing. I don't know if you're shopping for a new church. I stay pretty busy. But I'm not going to devote my entire week to trying to guess why somebody wasn't here. Went through a text or an email, you could quickly clear that up. And then if you have a need, this church will jump into action. That's how it works. I've seen them do it. And in light of this passage... I'm going to make a polite request, just a clarification of all of us here, including myself and my wife, uh, because we experience a unique dynamic in South Florida, a unique church dynamic. I don't know if you've noticed it yet, um, but most of us did not originate from Port St. Lucie. We come from very diverse traditions, different backgrounds, theologically, geographically, Most of us did not graduate high school together. Uh, Our families do not share generational history of relationships with one another. We have diverse habits. Uh, Honestly, the rest of us, most of the time, we don't know why you're not here. But here's my polite request. You are a growing adult. If you need help, please contact me or one of those close companions who you've gotten to know and will be there. We will be there when you need help. Please don't sit at home expecting somebody to decipher why you were not here, why they did not call, why didn't you call. That's my request. We want to help when people are in need. We want to encourage the faint-hearted. We want to strengthen those who need strengthening. And we have people gifted by God to provide everything that the body needs. We want you to call. We want you to call. But the complaint that is sometimes heard by pastors across the country that I waited at home until, well, nobody called. That's unacceptable. That's unacceptable. We need to let other people know when we have a need. And the church will spring to service. Verse 14 again says, Admonish the unruly. The Greek term for unruly suggests behavior that is out of line. Military would call it disorderly conduct. And it can include any element of life that doesn't conform to what is expected in Scripture. Admonishing the unruly is its a responsibility shared by the brethren. It says to everyone, admonish the unruly. It's not just me. And the elders can't be everywhere all the time. But I will tell you this, a little bit of peer pressure, it can go a long way to reinforce, reinforce what is taught from the pulpit. A pastor can state, as I did last week, that Christians, Christians don't forsake the assembly of the saints for, for extracurricular nonsense. So if you run into somebody out at Bathtub Reef Beach Sunday morning and they're sunning themselves, I want you to, wait a second, that, that's not a good example. What are you doing out at Bathtub Reef Beach? Um, you get the point. You get the point. There is a place for a gentle and a thoughtful uh, admonishment of one to another. Went through our uh, church covenant uh, in the uh, the orientation this morning. uh, And our membership covenant states in harmony with Colossians 1 verse 28. We will exercise Christian care and watchfulness over each other and faithfully encourage, exhort and admonish each as the occasion may arise. Scripture puts it this way, we proclaim him speaking of Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Still verse 13 reminds us live at peace with one another. Don't be hard. In verse 14, be patient with everybody. Patience suggests they're having a slow fuse. You don't blow too quickly. You don't just blow a gasket. We have to be long suffering with one another. And uh, being patient is the, is the opposite of retaliation. It's the opposite of retaliation. Folks, ministry can stretch your patience. It, it can really stretch your patience, especially as a pastor. It can if well, it's not like managing employees, you pay to show up. Their, their motivation is money. Church is a different operation. The body of Christ only functions through your spiritual giftedness and enthusiasm to serve. Shepherds, ultimately, we have no leverage, no leverage over people. We are completely reliant upon the Holy Spirit to motivate you to join in. It's a unique model. You don't see it in the world. It's a system that functions under God's grace. So when verse 15 says, see to it that nobody repays another evil for evil, uh, but be patient with everyone, what would retribution ever accomplish? What would it ever get done? You have no leverage over one another why would you deal out retribution to one another if you pressure people through manipulation or or you guilt them to serve you pressure them they're they're eventually just gonna burn out people don't want to serve that way but if you verse 15 seek after that which is good for one another and for all people Christians will respond if you seek out what is best for one another, Christians will join in. They will serve. And the elders at Port St. Lucie Bible Church, we want what is best for you. We desperately want what is best for each of you. Folks, we, sh- we enjoy a shared ministry. We share this together. Everybody is eventually going to be rewarded by Christ for serving his church. We're protecting her as he waits for his beloved bride. Folks, love for him has to be our motivator, and love for one another as he loved us. Folks, money. Money. Some people say, well, I just wish I could be in paid ministry. Um, I'll be very honest. Money is a horrible motivator for ministry. It really is. It's a horrible motivator. Uh, You must serve out of love whether you're paid or not. Christians, you know yourself, you don't want to be paid for service, do you? Like, I I don't want to be paid. I just want to give. I just want to serve. Jesus didn't come to earth to make money. He didn't come to be served. He, He came to serve. And through offering his life, Jesus came into the world to save sinners like us. And to understand that God's Son suffered and died. And he bore the guilt and shame of filth like us. The fact that he didn't demand anything in return except love. Folks, that that ought to be enough. That ought to be enough to motivate us to tell others And the good news that Jesus arose from the dead and is coming again and that he is going to separate his sheep from the goats ought to inspire us to warn others to escape the wrath that is to come. The first half then of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the day of the Lord is coming like a thief. The second half of chapter 5, Minister to one another as if you believe it. Serve one another that Christ might be served. And whether you're gifted by God to nurture or to show mercy or to give liberally, that's God's call. The Spirit gives gifts as He determines. Whether you're gifted to teach or to serve, whether you're skilled in leadership or you're skilled to follow. You ever thought about that? being skilled to follow. What a blessing that is. Each and every gift is determined by God. One is not better than the other, and everybody in the body of Christ has an essential role to play. Every single one of you. Paul told the Christians in Corinth, each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And folks, what matters most is that we do this and that we do it together. I don't think we have to be in a rush. I don't think we have to be in a rush to hire a bunch of paid professionals to handle the work that God has for us. People don't need to be paid to get done the work that God has prepared. Folks, you can do it. The 16th century reformer named Martin Luther... He was not a fan of professionally paid clergy. all right. And in the closing verse of Luther's historic hymn titled, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, Luther credits the gifts of the Holy Spirit as providing us expectation that God will dispense the Holy Spirit. He will give the gifts to get his work on earth done.